Coming up on Tech News Today, machines, will they do it better at rating video games than humans will? Also, the white iPhone. We have evidence that it may in fact be real. Except it's just rumors, actually. Robots fighting radiation and quantum corn dogs. All that and more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Monday, April 18th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Darren Kitchen. I'm Maya Zakhtar. And I'm Jason Owl. And this is the show where we kick around the tech news of the day, try to make some sense of it all. Sarah Lane off on vacation in Hawaii. It's got to suck. Yeah. Mm, uh, sucks to be her. Joining us, uh, though, to help us kick all this tech news in the teeth is Jason Heiner, editor-in-chief at TechRepublic.com. Welcome, Jason. Thanks. Always glad to be here. Hey, it's good to have you, man. It's good to have you back on the show. It's been a, few, it's been a month or so since we yes. talked to you. Uh, how's everything? Uh, what's what's new at Tech Republic? Uh, it's uh, you know trying to keep up like everybody else and trying to help everybody else keep up with the with the changes that are happening in in tech and in business and and all of the good stuff. And there's been a lot of new products uh, the first quarter of this year, so uh, so we've had plenty to talk about. All right, well uh, check them out techrepublic.com and let's uh, get into our stories of the day here. One of them topping uh, the list from the New York Times. A new video game content ratings procedure from the ESRB. Is that the Entertainment Software Ratings Board? Do I have that? Do I, I am I remembering correct. that correctly? Yeah, that's the right one. They're the voluntary organization made up of video game companies that put that rated D for teen, all that stuff on there. And the way they've done it up till now is if you make a, a video game, you send a video to the ESRB. They have one sit, somebody sit down and look at it. And the video needs to contain anything that might affect the rating. Uh, and so somebody looks at that and goes, okay, there's a little bit of sex, a little bit of violence. Uh, we're going to give that an M. We're going to give that a T. Oh, that, that one's got an E for everybody. And that's how you get the ratings on the games. But with the amount of downloadable content, not just on mobiles, but on con game consoles as well, they're not able to keep up. So a lot of downloadable content doesn't have an ESRB rating. They've come up with a new system for that. That's right. You'll be able to fill out a questionnaire, or game developers will be able to fill out questionnaires, and then that will be fed to a machine that's going to be based on the algorithm, and that will actually give you your rating. It's no longer uh, necessarily a person looking at it. Obviously, people are filling out the questionnaires and making the algorithm, but that's how you'll get your ratings for your downloadable games. So it's, a, it's again, self-reporting, like, like the video that had to be sent in the past, but instead of sending a video, you just go through and say, is there sex in the game? You say no, it moves you on to the next question. Uh, it adapts to how you answer. If you say, uh, yes, there's violence, they'll say, well, what kind of violence? Is it cartoony violence? Yeah, it's cartoony violence. Okay, you go into this bucket. If it's not well, what, you know, are they hitting people over the head with a hammer? Uh, or is there shooting? It, it tries to drill down, and it has a lot of nuance. Ars Technica had a really good description of it, which made it sound like they're really trying to 
find out exactly what's going on in the game through yeah. the questionnaire. I thought it was interesting one of the nuances about how like, oh, are you shooting people and is it a top-down or is it a first-person shooter because there's a difference psychologically in the impact that it might have on a person playing that and, you know, just the graphic nature of it. Jason, what, what do you think of the idea of, of having a questionnaire and then a machine just spits out the, the rating based on how you answer the questionnaire and that way they don't have to wait for somebody to get around to looking at the gameplay? Yeah, it sounds very Google, right? Uh, faith in the algorithm and, and not in people. And, and, and I, th I can see where they're trying to introduce some standards to the way this stuff is done because ratings by very nature are very subjective. So I, I, I like that part of it. I, I certainly am skeptical of whether, you know, something like this could, can really work and, and what the consequences are when it doesn't work. Um, but if it's rating things that aren't typically getting rated anyway, then, you know, it can't really hurt, right? It's, it's going to give you some feedback on this. You can sort of take it with a grain of salt knowing maybe you know that, uh, that this is uh, machine-generated, algorithm-generated, and, uh, you know, there may be sort of some false positives and, and some, some, uh, some challenges to the way that that's done. So all in all, I, I think maybe not a bad idea, especially if it's rating stuff that's not typically getting rated anyway. Well, I think it could possibly be more accurate, though, because, you know, somebody sitting there watching it might have a subjective opinion about, eh, this doesn't look that violent to me, whereas the machine is just going to say, does it meet this criteria, and these are the criteria for the rating. Well, the machine's trying to reduce the customer behavior down to an algorithm, but there's still the oversight that the ESRB will, within 48 hours after the publication of the game, go back and review it and make sure whatever the publisher said when they self-rated was accurate. It's yeah. going to be stiff, stiff penalties if they lied, if they omitted things that were in the questionnaire. On top of that, the ERS, ERSB president said this is going to be resistant to gaming, which is an interesting idea of gaming the system, saying, oh, I want this to be a, a rated E, and it's, you're just lying completely. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be possible right away. I'm sure some people are just going to try it out anyway and find out the harsh consequences that the ERSB, e, I can't even say ESRB. Thank you, guys. And uh, I was curious, though, do you guys think this will slow down development of downloadable games? I mean, how long is it going to take to get a rating? I mean, before you would just publish it, it'd come out, you get it, now it's, where's your rating? Well, but the, this actually speeds it up, because before you published it and there was no rating because nobody had time to review it. Now it speeds it up. It says, you answer these questions the day you publish, your rating is spit out by the computer Right, and this fast. makes your game look a lot more legitimate when you're trying to submit it to you know, places like the Steam Store or the Xbox Live Marketplace, the PlayStation Network, the Wii Shop, whatever it may be. Now, ESRB President Patricia Vance uh, stressed that boxed games will continue to be rated in the traditional way. They have no plans to use this for retail packaged products. Uh, they, and Vance also assured Ars Technica that publishers can't game the form to try to get a specific rating. At least that, you know, do you believe that, Jason? Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's going to try to game it to get, uh, you know, or not, if not game it, but influence it to, to get the lowest rating they can so that it's more broadly applicable. In most cases, I mean, we see that in the movies where if the, it looks like they're going to get an R rating, they'll do another edit to get down to PG-13 so that it's, uh, you, you know, more widely um, viewable. So... So, so, yeah, I, it's a, just a natural behavior that people are going to try to get the best rating they can, best being, you know, one that's, uh, you know, lower down the, the, the totem pole. But, uh, you know, like I said, if, it, if, it, if this can, means more stuff is rated and, and that, you know, helps uh, parents out, then probably it, it, the ultimate sum could be good. 
that. That sounds like a great point that, you know, you could do a quick edit, especially when you're finding out after, right after the questionnaire what your rating would be, you, you know, especially if it, it gives revise. you a detailed report of, oh, and here's why you got an M. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. let's just take that bit out and we'll get a T. Let's move on to Office 365 hitting public beta today. Uh, so this is the uh, web-based version of Office for businesses. Uh, this is different than Office Live Workspace, which is already in beta. That's the consumer product. Uh, Office 365 is a public beta for small businesses and enterprise-level businesses. Actually, I don't get why they call it a public beta, because if you go to sign up for it, they, you put in your email address, and they're like, great, we'll email you within two to four weeks. Yep, that's what I got. Sign you up for the beta. Uh, but it's $6 per user per month uh, for any place with 1 to 25 employees. Uh, that compared to Google, which has a flat $50 per employee per year. So $60 per person per month over the year ends up being, what, $72? Uh, so yeah. a little more expensive. Enterprise version is $24 per user per month and uh, adds a few more things in, right, Jason? I mean, I know you get, you get the ability to access Office 365 from the desktop software if you're in the enterprise plan. Yeah, that's right. It, it does do a few more things uh, for you, but this is really, uh, this is an interesting play. I think from the enterprise perspective, for the companies that are already invested in, um, you know, Office, Microsoft Office, uh, and maybe want to, to collaborate a little more, they probably already are doing some collaboration. I, I see this a lot with Google Docs, you know, where, where employees want to collaborate on a document. They're just they're not really using um, Office. They're, they're uploading their Office document that they may have created to Google Docs um, outside the firewall, right? And then, uh, and then collaborating with it. So Microsoft needs to do something about that behavior. They want to bring that, help that behavior sort of stay in the Microsoft universe and let uh, IT administrators take care, uh, you, you know, be able to administer it better. Um, so that's fine, and I think that'll kind of work, and most of these companies are going to pay a lot less than what the, the sort of um, street price is on this anyway. They're, they're going to get it as part of their, their um, yearly contract uh, with Microsoft. The it, more interesting play to me is the small business um, uh, side of this, and, and which is kind of the consumer side. It, it sort of bleeds into consumer as well because more and more I see small offices and um, startups, they are not even touching Microsoft Office. They avoid it. Uh, because they don't want to get into it, have a bunch of docs, and then if they grow bigger, going to have to sign a, a big support contract with Microsoft. They don't want to do that. So they're going with Google Docs or Open Office primarily. So, so they, they need to do Microsoft. I, I don't know if they're just, to me, this feels like they're, they're kind of writing that off or, or somebody you know, is writing it off or, or they're just not being very competitive because if they really uh, realize sort of the, the urgency of that, I think they'd be a lot more serious about addressing that market. And I don't know if you guys see the same thing with small companies and uh, startups. Yeah, well, I agree. It's definitely better for you know startups to go with something like the open office. I'm a huge supporter of the open source stuff in that sense. But or if you're LibreOffice, now that it's forked, there you go. LibreOffice, yep. Uh, but at the same token, I, I kind of like the uh, just the just fundamental shift in the way that the license works. It's in you know, you could imagine in the case that if you're an employer and it's kind of you have seasonal work where all of a sudden in the summer you need you know a hundred more monkeys with typewriters, you can just go ahead and for those months get those licenses. Right. Uh, are you are you saying, Jason, that they they should have priced this more aggressively? Do you think? Yeah, that's that's what I'm sorry. That's what I'm basically saying. You know, Microsoft could, if they wanted, undercut Google. Right? They yeah. could have done it so it's essentially 
I mean, 30 bucks a year. Um, Microsoft is, historically loves doing that kind of thing. So I'm sort of surprised that they didn't do that because I, I feel like they're losing in that market. I feel like, you know, things like OpenOffice, you mentioned LibreOffice, which is another alternative to, to OpenOffice, um, and Google uh, Apps. I think those things and Google Docs um, are, are totally what I see all small businesses and startups jumping on, not even touching Microsoft. Well, in an interview with, uh, I think it was All Things D, uh, Microsoft VP was saying that this is really more for enterprise. It's supposed to be more secure. The stuff that people use Google Docs for, you don't start thinking about where is your information. And Microsoft is pretty much saying flat out, we know where, where your stuff is going. Your stuff's going to be secure this way. And so it seems like if your business does grow, you might want to have a little bit tighter control. So while the price does seem a little bit out there for startups, as you get larger and larger, as your information becomes more and more private, it seems like a Microsoft solution might be the way to go. At least that's what they're trying to spin this as. Yeah, and I, and I think people are going to continue to want to use online services in preference to desktop. Especially now, it's confusing, right? We, we mentioned la at the end of last week, Oracle is discontinuing development of, of OpenOffice and handing it back over to open source. Is it going to yep. reunify with LibreOffice? Uh, is it going to delay features as both of these compete, if they continue to compete as both you know, total open source projects without a corporate sponsor? Uh, and, and it's just easier when it's in the cloud because you don't have to have anybody install anything. They just need a browser. With Microsoft, though. With might, yep. <laughs> a browser with Silverlight, mind you. Well, that, that I'm, I'm talking about in general, like with, right. with, with Google Docs. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right. You know, that's another thing that you bring up that's a good point. Office 365 requires Silverlight. Which you can technically do in Linux. Yeah. It's just not as easy. So if you just want to, you know, go with the open source easy stuff, well, there you go. All right. Uh, the white iPhone 4 is real? No. Yes. No, it's not. Uh for a short period of time today, it was available for order on the UK3 <laughs> network for £159. Uh, the website, thenextweb.com, got a screenshot of it. You could actually see that they, it was £159 and would deliver by April 20th, and, and you could press the order button. Uh, that has since changed. Now, when you go to 3.co.uk... You can still select the white iPhone. It's still up there. Uh, but when you do so, it gives you a yellow note that says uh, you won't be able to order the iPhone 4 in white online or in the stores. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's, just, it, it's not there for you. Uh, yeah, if you just scroll down, Jason, for the video, you see that, yeah, white iPhone 4 is is uh, currently unavailable currently unavailable so i think it was a database push error and i bet that april 20th date was automatically generated but we have other evidence from reliable sources speaking to iphone italia oh those that the white iphone is going to launch on april 26th now this combined with the bloomberg story last week that said that the white iphone 4 would ship by the end of april Means we we this and and we see three obviously has the system ready. Somebody's ready to push the button. Do we need any more evidence other than an actual ability to order a white iPhone? You're you're a dreamer. This is never coming yeah. out. Yeah, I'm just. This, they'll, they'll send you a black iPhone with a bottle of white. Until out. it actually shows up. I mean, this this is ridiculous. It's going to come out. It's coming up. You can press the button. It's going to show up. Ooh, ooh, when the iPhone 5 comes out, that's when the 4 in white will show up. Exactly. We yep. Well, the iPhone 5 might be coming out uh, in the fall. More, more notes from analyst Ming-Chi Kuo. And uh, Kuo, Kuo has been 
pretty much dead on when talking about the iPad and the iPhone this past year. A uh, quote comes from Concord Securities, issued a note on Monday saying the iPhone 5 will feature slight modifications, including an 8-megapixel rear camera, uh, Qualcomm baseband for both GSM and CDMA models, and an A5 processor. That's the one in the iPad 2 right now. But that the, the main attraction will be the iPhone 5 operating system. It'll be the next version of the operating system. So Quo thinks they will talk about the next iPhone at Worldwide Developers Conference, where they're going to concentrate on software, and that the iPhone 5 will go into production in September. And then Quo even goes on to say that we may see an iPhone 6 early in 2012. Well, the iPhone 5 stuff actually is pretty consistent with the other rumors we've heard. The touch panels seem like they'll be the same. So if they're just a processor change, that makes sense. It means well, the interface... Well, processor and camera. You know, it right. just sounds like it's like a little Bell's Improvement... Uh, Thing like like the 3GS was exactly. to the 3G. You're not going to get like a, a super retina display. You're getting that same thing. You're going to have the same uh, the actual form factor, but the insides will change a bit. And yeah, that OS will probably change. This rumor of an iPhone 6 showing up early has got me a bit confused. I don't. Why would the iPhone 5 ship so late and then the iPhone 6 be right behind it? Because of the Verizon iPhone. But when they just time everything together, then the iPhone 6 will just show up in June like it was supposed to. So the Verizon iPhone came out. Mm -hmm. And you have supply constraints from Japan. So you push the next iPhone out to fall, probably mostly because of the supply constraints. But you don't make it so different because you're, you're maybe waiting on a few technologies and you've got the Verizon iPhone that just came out. And you don't want to undermine that so much. So you put that out and then you put the iPhone 6 out exactly a year after the Verizon iPhone. You start a new uh, product cycle, and the iPhone 6 has near-field communication. The iPhone 6 has the big advancements in hardware. It seems odd that Apple will be stacking these together, just even with that, that theory. It just seems like they like to go, this is the one time we come out with this stuff. They've been like that with iPods and, and MacBooks, and everything just is usually on a year cycle. To, to kind of shorten that cycle seems a little unusual for them, but, I mean, it's possible. Liv? Yeah, the, yeah most of these rumors... Most of these rumors where they, I, I think where it tends to be like, oh, and a new version's coming out six months later. Um, I'm just saying they tend to prove out that it's usually not what we think. It's usually not like a full revision. It's like, oh, it's going to another carrier or they're, mm -hmm. they're launching 30 new countries that day. And we get these sort of weird things where we all go, what? And scratch our head. And it's like, oh, it wasn't actually a new version. It was, you know, uh, a new OS rev or, or it was, you know, announcing in 30 more countries or two important, a new carrier, um, that kind of thing. I think the same thing with, uh, I think it would be really, um, I'd be really surprised if the iPhone 5 isn't, an, there isn't a Verizon LTE version of the iPhone um, this fall when 5 comes out. Uh, if not, it's going to put them, you know, essentially a year behind the Android devices, the LTE Android devices. Yeah, but remember, they launched on Edge when there were plenty of 3G phones already it's in the true. marketplace. Yep. It's true. It's true. It's, it's a good point. But... Um, and maybe they'll think that, you know, we're, we're good enough to, to last for, for a year before then. But I, I think for as long as they've been collaborating with Verizon, which by most reports has been at least 18 months, that I, I think a lot of that collaboration is based on the idea that they're doing an LTE device. Now, they may announce it in the fall and it may not, you know, launch until January. They may say Verizon version, LTE version is launching, you know, in January 1st or something like that. But I, I can't see them not announcing the iPhone 5 on Verizon, um, you know, this fall too. And that sort of, to me, kills the idea that there's an iPhone 6 coming, you know, next spring, um, 
at some point. It's uh, on a side note. iPhone uh, also about to catch the Nikon D90 uh, as the most popular phone on Flickr. A popular camera. Most on, popular on camera. Oh, yeah, sorry. If you, if you build in, uh, it's definitely the, the most popular phone. If you, if you build in the ability to upload right from the camera, I mean, I, I would think that's the the real hook right there. It's the best camera you got. It's yeah, the the best camera you have is the one that's on you. The best you know, camera you have is the one have. that can upload your pictures to Flickr. They yes. take that D90. Apparently. Yep. All right, let's uh, take a quick break and thank our sponsor, FreshBooks, for their support of TNT. If you're a small business owner and you know the pain of invoicing, you can make it a lot less painful uh, by trying FreshBooks.com. I use it. Darren uses it. I'm doing uh, it right now. A lot, lot of folks use it because if you're, if you're out there trying to get money from people, it's worth it to pay a little bit to have somebody make it a whole lot easier. It, it actually can, can get your money to you faster, which cash flow is all important when you're in a small business. And you can get three clients for free. Try it out, FreshBooks.com. Uh, and you can sign up three of your clients, try it out. The way it works is they handle all of the sending of the invoices, either by email or mail. It costs a little bit extra to send an email because they're going to stamp it and put it in an envelope for you. Uh, but you can also send it by email. And in that email, there's a button that says, hey, pay here now. So you have a better chance of somebody being like, okay, it's easy to pay. I'm just going to click on that. I'm going to use PayPal. I'm going to use my credit card. I'm going to pay off this invoice, get it out of the way. Then it's marked paid. You know it's been paid. If it doesn't get paid on the deadline, FreshBooks will send the reminders, say, hey, you're late on this invoice. Let's, let's get this taken care of. Uh, and as you start to build more business and you start to get more people coming in, if you go above three clients, well, you got more money coming in. You, you pay a little bit for, for the higher tiers of FreshBooks with more clients, uh, but still not very expensive at all. Check it out, FreshBooks.com. And if you use the code TNT, you might win a birthday cake. Yay. They're still giving away cakes <laughs> at FreshBooks.com. I, I just invoiced you for $100 million as you did that ad. It was that easy. Why, why do I have to pay you $100 million for doing the ad? Oh, no, 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 no. I, it's for we'll other talk services. We'll yeah, talk just, just, just make sure it's paid. Just click the pay button. <laughs> yeah, Don't just, ask questions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's net 30, so you got, you got a month. <laughs> uh, iRobot is sending in an army of Roombas to suck up the radiation at the Fukushima nuclear plant. It's actually not what they're doing. They're sending in PackBots. These are uh, high-level industrial-grade uh, robots used by the army to defuse bombs in some cases. Uh, the PackBots are going into Reactor 3. They went in on Sunday morning. Each PackBot en entered the facility with an attached video camera. Uh, they're taking radiation and temperature readings, feeding back video to uh, the folks who are trying to assess what's going on. This is combined with some other robotic activity. A mechanical excavator and transporter is wiping away some of the debris outside the plant. An unmanned helicopter uh, is taking aerial photos of the area. Robots finally going in and cleaning up the mess. The robots will take care of it. Well, that's really handy. I mean, flat out, that, that radiation is not suitable for humans. It will absolutely kill you. And to have these robots go into there, and you can actually see live feeds and see what's going on there, it's, it's just a huge benefit. And on top of that, if they find anything good about uh, in, radi in, in Reactor uh, Building 3, they're going to be sending out these robots to 2 and 1 as well to see what else they can do to solve this. I, the radiation is very unsafe. It, mm. It's not. It's not necessarily like you walk in there and you'd flop over right. dead. But you're right. It's, it's it's not safe for humans in there. So if you can have ra if you can have robots uh, taking care of this, I mean, why not? And it's good good publicity for iRobot, right? Yeah, good for iRobot. And uh, I don't think you'll be able to buy a packbot anytime soon. No, oh, I'm bummer. For your cleaning up the radiation around your house, or for the next Robo games. Yeah. 
which was last weekend. All right, on to Bamboom, the latest in a string of services trying to use the Internet to deliver you video without having to pay anybody extra. Uh, here's what they're doing. They are building an array of small antennas. They say they're about the size of a dime that pick up over-the-air broadcasts. They then send that signal to an individual tuner and a DVR, and then those combinations of those three things can be rented out to people who aren't there to access over the Internet. So if I sign up with Bamboom, I pay him some money, and then I can access all of these over-the-air broadcasts on the Internet, and they don't have to pay anybody extra because all they're doing is, is essentially selling you equipment or leasing it to you, essentially, that's handled remotely. You've got a really, really long extension cord that goes over IP. Yeah. Yeah. All There's right. no problems with this, right? There's only been a lot of problems with things like this in the past. I know we've reported on Zadiva did a similar thing with DVDs uh, where you would basically be renting out a DVD player. They play a DVD and you can stream it on the internet. Now, Bamboom has some really interesting legal arguments how to avoid getting taken down. They're trying to rely on Cablevision versus Cartoon Network. And if you guys remember that, that was pretty much the same idea. The remote DVR concept, a really long extension cord, and everything was privately held for you. It was a copy for you. Now, Bamboom is saying that's the exact same thing. And Cablevision won that. Cablevision did win yeah. that. Uh, Bamboom is saying that you have the same thing. You have your own private equipment. It's your own private locker for your DVR. And, you know, I've been looking at this, and it's localized to New York, and you have to be within New York. And so to do this, it actually makes a little bit more sense versus what everybody else is trying to do. There were other services like FilmOn and IVI. They tried to do this nationwide. They had, like, one antenna, and they would split out the signals, and you'd be able to access that. Bamboom is trying the one-to-one -one approach, which is similar to what Amazon is doing with, you have a copy of your own music file, you can stream it. So, and, and respecting regionality. What right. IVI was trying to say, what Ivy was saying was, you know what, we're in the United States, we pay a mechanical royalty to the Federal Copyright Office so we can distribute within the United States. And they got, one of the reasons they got shut down is that they were taking you know, local broadcasters in one area and sending them to another area, which local broadcasters don't like. They all have their little monopolies being the ABC channel in their areas, and they don't want to have to compete with other ABC channels. Right, and the, the Bamboom's idea is that when you're outside of your own market, you can access the service, but you can only play back your previously recorded material and not watch live. Right. That, I mean, it, it's an interesting idea. They would probably need, like, a whole set of bamboo, I guess, stations in New York, L.A., Chicago, all these kinds of things to have a nationwide service because they're saying they will not, like, if I was here and I wanted to watch New York television, I'm out of luck. Simple as that, as long as, well, maybe someone I know had a sling box that so I could use that. But that's well, yeah, not what well, they're doing. Yeah, they're actually being a little conservative because they could make the argument that since this is an antenna mm -hmm. that is meant for you, it'd be no different than having a sling box. And they, you know, they could put a sling box. But they're, they're trying to play ball at least as, and ride that line as close as possible. And they're sticking to broadcast television. This is not cable yep. stuff. So this is coming off the, out of the air for them. Uh, so it's an, it's, it obviously makes them very different than these other cases. To rely on cable vision, I think, is a little bit strange because... They're a recognized cable system, all right? Now, well, it, it, isn't, it isn't strange, though, right? Because Cablevision is doing the exact same thing. They've got a big antenna, mm -hmm. and then they bring that signal in and bring from a satellite dish as well, and they put it on a DVR that you rent locally. The difference is they're licensed to bring in that signal for, for, from the satellite, and they're licensed to take that antenna signal and split it up. Right. So all Bamboom is saying is like, hey, we're not licensed for that, so we're going to give you an antenna. We're just going to add an antenna to the DVR that Cablevision has. As a cable system, though, they're allowed to get compulsory licenses. So these, these copyright holders have to give them the license. That's how that whole system is set up. 
That's why IVI got taken down. They weren't qualified as a cable system. So the fact that they're keeping it localized does keep it separate, right. but well, they could run into that other issue. When Cablevision went to court over this, it was because they had an individual DVR mm -hmm. for every user right. that they were actually, uh, the court said that the, the transmissions were not public performances and therefore they didn't infringe on any exclusive rights of public performance. Now, they won in Long Island and Bamboom is doing the same thing, setting up shop in Long Island. We're talking about how they're being conservative by, you know, not allowing you to play live TV outside of your market, not expanding to these different markets and whatnot. It sounds like they're kind of dipping a toe in the water to make sure that, you know, they're legit. And once they're legit, I'm sure they could expand and start, you know, pushing the envelope and seeing what, what they can do. I still think it's this a little is, gray. Go, Jason. This is such an example of all the strange gyrations that people are having to go through in the digital age to get the content that they want when they want it and where they want it. Um, even people that are willing to pay. Uh, what happens, I think, is people get, it, this gets turned into, like, all these people want to get free TV or they want to share things. Well, ultimately, you know, there's, there's some of that, but most of this is the case of, like, paying customers wanting to do, you know, digital things with the, the stuff that they want. And uh, I think that what's ultimately going to happen is, you know, and why these things are, are breaking down and, and why there's weird stuff like this having to happen for people to do this is because the distribution, people hang on to that distribution as long as they can. And the internet is ultimately breaking down all forms of media and information distribution. And for now, that distribution allows these content um, distributors to make people pay for things that they're not going to use as long as possible. And that will ultimately break down as there's more pressure, as there's more, you know, more content creators take their data directly to um, consumers. And you're going to see that, I think, even to the individual, like, station level and what we think of now as, like, channel level to where ultimately it is going to be a, a, a pay-per-view or pay-per- um, content game. You know, they're going to be channels. For instance, I wish I could get, I'm a huge Yankees fan. I wish I could get the um, Yankee Entertainment Network in, in New York, the, the Yes, yes Network. Network. yeah. Exactly. I, but there is no way right now, I would pay five bucks a month, maybe, whatever, something to, to get that channel. And ultimately, this is going to become a game. And there's lots of people that now that, you know, leave their home market and they move to another area and they'd still love to be able to pay to get their home market to stay up with news, you know, in their hometown or whatever. You know, that's what this is ultimately breaking down to. And just all of these things are gyrations in the middle of that breaking down process. I stopped hearing you say anything after you said you were a Yankees fan. <laughs> but I still Sorry. respect you anyway. All right. Uh, also, in a similar vein, people being sued for, for crazy things, uh, Apple now suing Samsung for copying the look and feel of the iPhone and the iPad. Now, at the same time, Apple just had a setback as the U U.S. International Trade Commission staff lawyer recommended that HTC and Nokia be allowed to continue to ship their phones. Uh, Apple has been uh, after them to uh, over a patent dispute around five patents that are described as being important for the integration of hardware and software. Uh, makes the product more flexible in dealing with uh, complex requirements of having the equivalent of a personal commuter in a phone. These are different than the Wall Street Journal reporting that Apple is now suing Samsung for the look and feel on the Samsung Galaxy S 4G. And uh, specifically, the S 4G uses the TouchWiz interface. Yeah, we were actually playing around with Darren's phone, and uh, it basically has a very similar styling. It has effectively a dock. 
Right, you've got the four icons at the bottom of the screen, which are constant no matter what Just like home on the screen iPad, you switch iPhone, over to. Yeah. Yeah. Now, stock Android doesn't have that built in, right? It has like a drawer system? Well, it's got a drawer icon and then, you know, you have like either a browser or a phone icon. Yeah. So there's like three icons at the bottom, essentially. They've got four instead of three. If you take a look at the Engadget post, I'm not sure if this image is from uh, Apple's filing or if this is their own side-by-side. Uh, -side, but if you take a look at the way Samsung had their, their touch flow interface, it looks a lot like, well, it looks like an iPhone, flat out. It's got the same square icons. It's got the same style dock. Uh, this is a look and feel argument. I mean, I have to do a lot. I have to do, you know, dig into my legal brain to, to see what that exactly means again. But I'll be looking into the story all week. I thought when I first um, reviewed the first generation Galaxy S, it was my very first reaction when I picked it up. It was like, whoa! They just totally, you know, threw all care to the wind and said, we're just going to make our phone look like the iPhone, and we're going to make our TouchWiz interface just ape the iPhone, um, and. You know, it's still not as good. It actually subtract. I think it subtracts from the Android experience. Ultimately, TouchWiz does. Um, it's one of the worst uh, Android skins that there is. But still, it does purposefully, um, you know, ape the iPhone, and that could get them in trouble here, especially because there are other Android skins that are departing, you know, from it and doing their own thing. And this one has purposefully chosen to, to you know, be an iPhone lookalike. I guess what I don't understand in all of this is any Android home screen has the icons lined up like that. So they all do that. The difference here is just the four the versus two dock. That's, that's it. That's the well, kind actually, of thing you can patent, I guess. So. Actually, the, um, the, you know, most Android phone, this is little, but most Android, when you go into the all apps thing, you, you scroll up to look yeah. at the rest of your apps. With this one, you do just like the iPhone. You scroll over, you see your next set of apps. You scroll over, you see your, you so know, another screen So it doesn't have like an application uh, pull-up tray from the bottom. It's just all on the main screen. Exactly, right. just like the iPhone. Oh, there's... Yeah, there's a similarity right there. Yeah, the smoking gun. So, oh, we'll take a look. All right, let's finish off with some quantum computing. Just, just lightweight yeah, that's oh, a good idea. story okay. here. A uh, <laughs> team of scientists from Australia and Japan have successfully transferred a complex set of quantum data in light form. This is sending a qubit, if you're familiar with that term, in light form. Previously, researchers had struggled with slow performance and loss of information, uh, but now they've received, they have achieved full transmission integrity, a block of qubits being destroyed in one place, but instantaneously resurrected in another without affecting their superpositions. We're now one step closer to high-speed quantum communication. All right, all right, Tom, you're going to have to break this down for me. I'm not quite figuring it out with the qubits. So... What if, say, for instance, they were like mini corn dogs? Okay. Are you destroying the mini corn dog and then bringing a corn dog to life? Are you, okay. are you sending the corn a, no, and the dog good, separate? That's a good example. Let's say the, uh, the qubit you want to send is the corn dog, mm -hmm. uh, and you've got a stick. Okay. Right? So I'm going to give you another stick, and these two sticks are going to be entangled. Right? Ah, okay. So the state right. of one stick... Well, you can't uh, have a corn dog with two sticks. I mean, that's the state of one insanity. stick is entangled with the other. So what happens to this stick happens to that stick. Uh -huh. Now I'm going to perform what's called a unitary option on your corn dog, which actually destroys the corn dog and the stick. But don't worry, because now I have two bits of information. The corn and the dog? No, no, they're just, they're just two bits of information. <laughs> okay, I get right? two bits of information. Your corn dog's gone. Oh. But when I performed that unitary operation, it affected the stick that you have. The right, because they, stick, were, right? they were entangled, right? So I'm going to send those... So wouldn't it destroy so the corn gonna, dog that isn't on I'm my gonna stick? I'm going to use light to send the two, two bits to you, 
Now you're going to take those two bits, perform a unitary operation on your stick, and then boom, you've got the corn dog. Back. So we both do the same exact operation on our corn dog sticks, but it removes your corn dog and makes a corn dog appear on my stick. Exactly. Wow. And it does it fast. Yeah, I like that idea. And then the reason that, that you want to do this instead of just sending the corn dog by courier, right? Which might you might think like, why would it? Why, why would I do? Why wouldn't I just send data the way I normally send data? With qubits, you've got not just a one and a zero, but also superposition, which allows you to do a lot of really cool high speed computing that you can't do with classical computing, like uh, database analysis, uh, the database searching. Is, is one of the big examples. So yeah. it's, it's simply way faster. I'm kind of curious about what kind of implications this has if the original thing is destroyed and then recreated over and over again. What kind of, I'm just thinking copyright now. Like what happens to this case? Or infinite corn dogs, which would revolutionize sports bars as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's Nutritionally true. enhanced uh, um, Sunday, chocolate fudge Sunday. Maybe. Yeah. That's possible. That's a good. Just as long as the players don't eat it. Mm. Sorry, Star Trek reference. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. Let's move on to the news fuse. Ensued. Ah, uh, do you want a phone with a dual core 2 gigahertz processor? Well, a Samsung exec let a newspaper know that the company is planning on just such a thing next year. Not two 1 gigahertz processors, dual core 2 gigahertz. Both cores 2 gigahertz. That's some serious computing power in the palm of your hand, folks. But odds are people will stu still use it to play Angry Birds. For about five minutes until the battery is dead. Try <laughs> <laughs> or their hands on fire. Uh, if you go over to the piratebay.org, you may notice that it's calling itself the Research Bay today. And that's because the Pirate Bay has partnered with Lund University to, quote, help researchers to better understand habits and norms within the file sharing community. So if you're going to be doing some torrenting today, you know, you're helping a school. Just trying not to do anything illegal. You're like a Nielsen family today. Yeah, be careful there. Inside Mobile Apps is reporting that Apple may have made some changes to its App Store rankings. Apparently, the amount of times an app is downloaded no longer carries the same weight in Apple's top app sections. The site guesses that Apple is now looking at usage, like daily and monthly usage of an app, to tweak its rankings. Yahoo has decided to better meet the needs of its customers, that it's going to keep your data for 18 months. Yeah, wait. Yeah. Uh, originally, the company kept data for only three months. Uh, if you're wondering what kind of data will be kept, it's really nothing to worry about. It's just like your IP address, your ISP, all the sites you visit. <laughs> oh, you know, great. Nothing, yeah. nothing big. Uh, this change in Yahoo policy will start in July, so you can stop using them then. The EFF is $10,000 richer thanks to George Hotz. Hotz has raised the money to pay for the legal defense that he had been, uh, after being sued by Sony over DMC violations involving the PlayStation 3. So eventually settled out of court and Hotz, well, with the extra money from the defense, went ahead and donated that with a message that read, this money goes to the EFF in hopes that America can one day again be a shining example of freedom, uh, free of the DMCA and ACTA. Yeah, that, that's an interesting move by Hots. I mean, he can't actually say anything negative about Sony, but he can do this. Uh, Gro Groove Shark's Android app recently got the boot from the official Google Android market, but that doesn't mean the app is dead. Now, Android users will be able to get the Groove Shark app from Groove Shark directly. That's a nice thing about Android. Even when your app is kicked, it's not too hard to bring it back. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Revenge of the Panda, the Google search algorithm panda 
which actually they did another tweak to and implemented Wave 2 last week. Now, Systrix is reporting that Demand Media's eHow was hit hard, dropping 66% in results returned. Demand doesn't seem to mind, though. The content publisher said Monday that its first quarter results remain on track and its second quarter page view growth will be on par with a year ago. So, whatever. We don't care. According to the Wall Street Journal, Twitter is in talks to buy TweetDeck. The journal is citing the ever-popular people familiar with the matter as its source. And earlier this year, it appeared that TweetDeck was uh, to be bought up by Uber Media. You know them. They own several Twitter apps already. However, the deal kind of never went through. Oh, that's you're, you're, you're familiar with the people familiar with the matter, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually registering that website gotcha. right now. Woo. <laughs> uh, which, is, which is why I'm late on talking about... Jesse Jackson Jr.'s amazing speech that is the new series of tubes. Oh, yeah. That's uh, if you want, and we had Ted Stevens, the late Ted Stevens, uh, God rest his soul, who, did, who com compared the Internet to a series of tubes. It's not a truck. Right. Went viral. Uh, <laughs> now we have Jesse Jackson Jr. blaming the iPad for killing America's jobs. Now Borders is closing stores because why do you need to go to Borders anymore? Why do you need to go to Barnes & Noble? Just buy an iPad and download your book. Download your newspaper. Download your magazine. Chicago State University in my congressional district, in freshman class, they're not being given textbooks any longer. They're all being given iPads as they enter school. President Wayne Watson hopes to have a textbookless campus Within four years, sounds good. We're at this yeah, state university. They like no longer have. Yeah, all the geese are going. All right. Yeah. Oh uh, no, he hadn't got to. He hadn't got to. That and publishing company jobs. What becomes of bookstores and librarians oh. and all of the jobs associated with paper? We well, go to engineers. Make oh. it. Oh. In not too distant future. So he's not saying it's a good thing. Nope. He's saying that the iPad is killing jobs. Ah. Not Steve Jobs. Uh huh. But. Our jobs. This just like makes uh, it's like makes you want to shake your head and go, yeah. What what are happening to the jobs? Well, those jobs are going to engineers who uh, are making software instead of you know people you know raw um, retail jobs. Uh, so anyway, it, it's one of these things that you know, was taken a little bit out of context. Like he did admit at the beginning that, you know, he owns an iPad. And I think he, the, the point of what he was trying to do was tell the Congress is like, look, all of these um, jobs, a lot of them are, he's saying, are going to China to making, you know, iPads. That's not where all of them are going, obviously. There's a lot of designers and engineers in, um, you know, Cupertino, California, that are getting some of those jobs as well. Um, but the, his point was that, I think that Congress needs to get with the times and realize that the jobs situation is changing pretty dramatically and they're completely asleep at the wheel. And I think that part of the speech has a point, but making it in the context of saying that all of these things, you know, he makes it sound like a bad thing that all, all of these It was very, very poorly phrased, but it does make yes. me worry about the Wainwrights. When we no longer have people uh, using wooden wheels, what happens to the Wainwrights? And the, uh, the and whip salesmen for horses. Mm -hmm. I mean, for, yeah. Yeah. these yeah. automo these automobiles the buggy, must be stopped. The I, can't, I can't get a job shoveling coal into a steam engine. I know. I'm going to have to become a diesel engine We should stop technological progress yeah. so th these jobs stay. That's what we should do.
Oh, no, I, 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 disturbing. I'm very glad disturbing. that you put this in context so we can understand that uh, Representative uh, Jackson is not an entire idiot because in this clip, it appears that way. And we yes, expect definitely. remixes around the internet pretty soon. Yeah, and it, it, it is going it, it is going to go viral, I have a feeling. All right, on to the calendar. The triple X domain went live on IANA's root servers on Friday. Uh, so good for you guys. So now you know where to find the porn. There you go. You can pre-register. And the, uh, the So We Might See Coalition is asking people to take a media fast for seven days starting yesterday, which means you're probably not watching this if you are. Uh, but that's right, no phones, no TVs, no computers. You get the idea. It's, uh, it's part of the uh, run-up to Easter. It's exactly. a Lenten fast to give against up. the Internet, which I don't know how people are supposed to do their jobs. I mean, there's lots of jobs that don't need the internet. Taking away jobs. But, yeah. <laughs> Verizon just introduced an LTE MiFi. If you wanted one, you can get one for 100 bucks on a two-year contract. And I held out. Yeah, or the Samsung hotspot that's been out for a while. Yeah, already. I don't want the Samsung. I wanted the yeah, MiFi. All right, then happy. Good for you. Now, <laughs> RIM's BlackBerry Playbook launches tomorrow, April 19th, along with Portal 2. Uh, well, it's not coming with Portal 2. Portal 2 is also coming out tomorrow. Uh, Yahoo Buzz is closing on April 21st. That was that kind of dig-like clone, but uh, Google Buzz is still around if you want Thank that. goodness. But on the downside of Google, Google is shutting Buzz down. Out still around. Google Videos on April 29th, Google Video is going to be report. gone. <laughs> you have until May 13th to export your videos. And, and H BuzzFeed. P's Veer launch party is scheduled for May 2nd. And Buzz Aldrin. What's the Veer? The Veer is that really tiny uh, replacement to the Pixie. Ah, It's okay. like a mini pre. Gotcha. All right, we got uh, voicemails, 260-TNT-SHOW. We uh, like to play a selection of them from time to time. Here's one about the BlackBerry Playbook. Come to my defense, caller. Wow, no pressure. I think this is really short. Um, Tom, I don't think you're wrong for liking the playbook. It looks really neat, especially now that you can view and use and operate Android apps. Without that, I think you would have been DOA. So as long as you have Android apps running on the BlackBerry, it's kind of sacrilegious if you think about it, but it's, you know, Android is going to be the biggest OS out there, and I think it just works out that you know the playbook might be the nice hardware to go along with the Android apps. So I defend you, Ace Detect. I defend you. Take care. Bye, guys. Except, except uh, it's not launching. Would you like to clarify exactly how, yeah. how it runs that? Android apps? Oh, Tom? it's got an Android virtual machine, obviously, and you just That'd put an a great APK idea. file on it, and it runs, right? Yeah. Great idea. Right? Yeah, Actually, um, it, it sucks. It, the, the Android apps won't just appear in there, and they're not going to run a version of Google Market. They're going to allow Android app creators to submit their apps and then be run through the, uh, or, or sold or distributed through the, the BlackBerry yeah, they, world. They have, they have a container wait, 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 wait. that the Android app goes that, into. That makes it awesome. So developers have not, to cross-compile for it? And it's not. Yes. No, no, no. Yes. The developer submits the app, and then it, it oh. gets put in the container. Oh, okay. For, for them. What a one. Yeah. It's actually not bad. I, to, to, I, I didn't know, Tom, you, you'd seen this, too. I actually wrote an article on Friday saying four pleasant surprises with the BlackBerry um, but playbook. But it's not launching with any of those apps, is it? No, no, and they won't be ready for a it's while. It's not even launched but, with but, email. So. But they did get the guts <laughs> of this thing. Email. Actually, the experience of the playbook um, was a lot better than I expected. I mean, I think they got some of the core Thank stuff you. right. They should have waited until they had some more of the app stuff finished. Uh, but I think they, they got more right than most people thinking. You know, most of the reviewers that write these things um, that, that panned it, you know, have already have an iPad and iPhone and a, a MacBook. And so, yeah, they're not really the target audience Haters. for this. 
Exactly. Realist. All right, let's finish up. I'm, with, I, I'm not a BlackBerry user either, I should say, but still, I was pleasantly surprised. Finish up with an email from Tolga Balchi, who says, I've heard you guys talk several times about how Apple gets it and figured out the magical art of having all the carriers release their updates at once, and why can't the other guys, Google and Microsoft, figure out how to do the same thing? Well, I have both an AT&T and a Verizon iPhone in my family, and the only time Apple managed to release updates to all carriers at once was back before they appeared on Verizon when they were on AT&T. My daughter's Verizon iPhone cannot get 4.3 yet, just got 4.27 last week. I'm not complaining because I have no need, no real need for 4.3 updates, but just wanted to point out the credit you give them might be overdone. Now, that's a really good point. Verizon and AT and the Verizon iPhone has split the iOS release schedule for the first time, but you should remember that there are worldwide hundreds of carriers with the iPhone, and they all get the software at the same time. The Verizon is the exception to the rule. So it's a, it's a very good point, but I think it's... You think this will settle down when iPhone 5 comes out with Qualcomm baseband for both of them? Yeah, I think so. I, I have a feeling that this difference has to do with the CDMA, because it's the only CDMA iPhone. Hmm. I, I think there's one big reason why Apple does this and nobody else is because Apple's a bigger jerk than anybody else. I mean, they strong-arm <laughs> everybody better than anybody in the industry. You know, nobody, if you, you, know, you want to work with Apple, you have to play by the rules. And so all of these companies know that if they that work with them, carriers and everybody else, that you know Apple is inflexible and they do it their way, and that's the cost of business. Um, and so people, I think, let Apple get away with more than they would with others. You know, they push back against them less than they do against somebody like Google and you know Android. Android's just a different beast anyway because of um, the, the way it works. But um, Apple and it knows that it's in a position of strength right now, and it uses that every way that it can to strong arm every else in the industry. Apple's a jerk and you win. There you go. That's and, right. And they're unapologetic they're about it. They're just doing it for you. It's not like Andy Rubin saying, oh, we're going to spin this. It's like, no, yeah. we're just jerks. Deal with it. They don't even say that. <laughs> just, it's a one-line email <laughs> yeah. from Steve Jobs. Yeah. That's the way it is. Like, oh, yes. that's You're holding it, it wrong. The Why end. would you do it any other way? We're You're being jerks for you. On your behalf. On your behalf. We're jerks on your behalf. We're jerks so you don't have to be. <laughs> Jason Heiner, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Let people know uh, about Tech Republic. What's going on over there? Sure thing. Um, Tech Republic is uh, a trade publication and online community for IT professionals. So um, from help desk uh, professionals to systems administrators to network administrators to CIOs, you know, small business, the, the one person IT shop doing the whole thing. Uh, we provide a lot of tips and tutorials and best practices and advice and you know, buying guides and that kind of thing for, for everybody that's out there in IT, um, you know, working their tail to the bone to try to keep the world running. So uh, that's what we do. Uh, my blog is Tech Sanity Check, and you can, uh, you can find me at uh, sanity.techrepublic.com. I'd also like to apologize to Darren for trashing his Samsung uh, Android phone. Nah, that's all right. I don't care. <laughs> he didn't make it. He just owns it. Yeah, it's rooted. <laughs> You're not Very a Samsung good. fanboy? Awesome. No. <laughs> Please, I hate Samsung this thing. But you can learn how to root things like Samsung phones on Hack 5. Yeah, you can also find out uh, with our latest episode how to defend yourself from Fire Sheep uh, with some Firefox plugins or do yourself some man-in-the-middle attacks with Linux tools and HTTPD fingerprinting spy satellites. Good stuff. I've been uh, defending myself from Fire Sheep with Fire Wolves. Ooh. Is that the right way? <laughs> <laughs> that, that must be an upgrade. All right, anyway, it's hak5.org, and we'll have more from NAB next week. All right, this thanks, week. thanks everybody for watching. You can find us twit.tv slash TNT, email us TNT at twit.tv, or give us a call on the phone. Or you can just send us an MP3 to our email address. But the phone number is 260-TNT-SHOW. We'll see you tomorrow.